Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. Hey, amen and amen. Thank you so much. Worship team, what a blessing it is. And yeah, those are the words the angels are singing. Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, who was and is and who ever will be. Woo, amen. I sure do enjoy also, I, uh, you know, I love, I'm, I'm a musician, uh, and I used to be one of the worship team uh, members and leaders here for many years back in the day, and uh, I love uh, our our worship team and and all they do. And sometimes I'll just I'll just kind of focus in on one particular instrument and watch that player uh, worship the Lord with their instrument. And I find it an absolutely beautiful thing uh, as to how much their the effort they're putting in. And oftentimes they practiced a great deal. You can tell ahead of time. And, but just to see how attentive they are to their instrument and, and, and how they're glorifying God with it. And it's a beautiful thing today. I was watching Brian, who was just absolutely going crazy on that bass. Wow. <laughs> it was really wonderful. And uh, boy, he was playing some stuff. Uh, it was interesting. Dr. Dr. Garver and I over there, I was like, wow, boy, Brian's going today. And he said, he's playing some of the same things I'm playing, but you know, you don't usually play on bass, but you play on lead guitar. And so it was, it was really fantastic. And so it was very noticeable. I just enjoyed watching you and just uh, being blessed by your worship of the Lord through the bass guitar. I think that's great, man. I, I love when, when we use our talents for the Lord. It's a blessing, isn't it? So thank you to all of you guys. Let's give them a hand, everybody. Yeah. Oh, and thank you so much, Bob. Uh, and I think Bob's in my monitor still, Miss uh, Ellie. And so, in any case, I want to start with the book of Acts today, Acts chapter 7. I've got a word for you that relates to the time that we are in, to the season that we are in, to something else that's, that's actually coming up uh, this weekend. But let's, let's start with the book of Acts chapter 7. And here, an interesting story. During the tour portion today that Dean so ably read, uh, we heard a little bit about Moshe, about Moses, and we're going to read a little bit else, uh, something else about Moses, something interesting. It's a small subtext point here that uh, frequently just gets run over, like as in it's just a couple verses here, but yet uh, it's not a couple verses in Moses' life. Okay, so we know that Moses, Moses was raised in Pharaoh's household. You all know that, of course. But after siding with his people, because he was a Hebrew, uh, and he had been raised by, uh, in Pharaoh's uh, household, if you will, 
but after a while, he sided with his people, as you know, and then he had to flee. He fled to the desert of Midian. And, and he was in the desert of Midian. This was in between the time that he had been raised in the household of Pharaoh. And then when he eventually came back to Pharaoh with the whole let my people go thing, right? In the Exodus that we're all familiar with. But what happened in the meantime? We know, of course, the burning bush. But, but let's read. The, 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 what I want to focus on here is time frame. Acts chapter 7. Acts. Why would you go to Acts if we're talking about the Torah? Acts refers and gives us some insight into Exodus uh, and the, the life of Moses. Acts chapter 7, specific to the timeline. timeline. Acts 7 verse 29. Acts 7 29 says this. At this remark, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Okay, so he fled. And then verse 30. When 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning bush. Ooh, Mount Sinai. Ooh, pretty intense, man. I've been to the, I've climbed the traditional uh, Mount Sinai, and wow, there's something special about that place. But okay, that, that's an amazing story here about Moshe, Moses. But did you catch it? That's a long time to be in the wilderness. Did you catch there? From the time he left Pharaoh's household to the time that the burning bush happened was not 40 days or 40 hours or 40 weeks. It was 40 years 40 years that he was in that wilderness. Really remarkable. That's, that's a long time. That's a really long time. It's just a verse in the Bible, but man, that's a long time in a human being's life. I mean, Moses lived a long time, but he wasn't like Methuselah. He wasn't living like seven, six, seven, eight, eight hundred years or anything like that. This was a long time in his life. Back when I was a little kid, there was a famous commercial on television. <laughs> it was very recognizable. Um, it was just so unusual. And the commercial was for Paul Masson Winery. Okay, some of you, some of you already know the commercial. It's, it's, it's a legendary commercial. It featured none other than Orson Welles. Right? Some of you remember, as in... Yes, that Orson Welles, the Orson Welles. You know, I mean, he was toward the end of his life there. But, but man, he had this kind of, uh, this, I don't know, je ne sais quoi about him, that, this class. And, uh, and, and, so, and so he, he talks about how the Paul Masson, I, I was watching some on, on YouTube in preparation for this message. He was talking, there's lots of different ones. This is like 19... Well, it was a long time ago. Uh, he, he talked about how their wines, the Paul Masson wines, are aged until they are ready. Some of you remember those commercials. And of course, he, he always concluded with the famous phrase, it was originally by Paul Masson, apparently, but he couldn't have said it as well as Orson Welles did. And, and of course, the expression, anybody want to help me? We will sell no wine before it's time. All of you know it. This is like, come on, of a certain generation at least. That was a long time ago, y'all. That was, wow, that is some serious. You don't think you're affected by advertising? <laughs> 
Uh, it's such a great line, and the way he said it, I, you know, I just, I just listened to it a few times just because with that voice, we will sell no wine before it's time. Mm. What an interesting message, too. Leviticus chapter 19, please. Leviticus 19. <laughs> so, y'all, this coming Sunday evening, I've got a, a little kind of mini teaching within my message here, but it's all to make a, 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 some points, and I hope that you just tune in and enjoy your Jewish roots in the Messiah. This coming Sunday evening starts Tu B'Shvat. Tu B'Shvat, okay, which literally means the 15th of Shavat, uh, and that's the, the Hebrew month of uh, Shavat. And it's sort, of like, it's sort of like how you would say it's the 4th of July. Tu B'Shvat is the 15th of Shavat. Shavat is the Hebrew month. And Tu B'Shvat is an ancient minor holiday, minor Jewish holiday, which represents the new year for trees. The new year for trees, okay? And so you're like, wow, that's interesting. Well, it's not, it's not an explicitly commanded biblical holiday, but let me explain to you its biblical basis. So it has a, a biblical foundation as to why they created this holiday of Tu B'Shvat. So it was created because there was a, a need driven out of a biblical command. Uh, and so this is why Tu B'Shvat came about. Leviticus chapter 19 gives us uh, some of the context. So in Leviticus chapter 19, God is giving the Israelites certain commands to follow. A lot of random stuff in the chapter. And in it, though, are specific commands regarding the harvesting of fruit. Okay? So in it we see, in Leviticus 19... There are specific commands God gives regarding fruit harvesting. Okay, so let's read these commands that God gives because it relates to this holiday and it relates to other things as well. So really weigh into what's being said here because it's very interesting. Starting at verse 23, Leviticus 19, 23 in the Torah. When you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, you are to consider their fruit as forbidden. Three years it will be forbidden to you. It is not to be eaten. Then in the fourth year, all its fruit will be holy for giving praise to Adonai. In the fifth year, you may eat its fruit so it will yield its increase to you. I am Adonai, your God. Hmm. Very interesting, very interesting command. So, so basically, y'all, what we see here is God is giving special instructions regarding fruit trees and fruit harvesting. And the command is that when you plant a fruit tree, you can't eat the fruit for the first three years. You're not allowed to eat the fruit, it's considered orla, which is interesting. Uh, it basically means uncircumcised, okay? Uh, it's the Hebrew word that's used to, to describe the fruit here. It is not ready, okay? 
Uh, it's uncircumcised. So, okay, so the fruit cannot be consumed. Uh, in fact, sometimes the trees would be pruned so that the tree could focus on growing stronger instead of producing lots of fruit in this first few years, and the tree grows stronger. And then the fruit from the tree in the fourth year is to be holy, is to be given unto the Lord. That is holy fruit, if I could put it that way, right? Okay, that is for, as unto the Lord and to, to praise the Lord with. Only in the fifth year and beyond can you eat the fruit from the trees. Only in the fifth year and beyond. Okay, now then let's, let's relate that and understand now how this passage relates to Tubishvat. Tubishvat, of course, is the new year for trees, the 15th of Shavat. Uh, and so what is that? The new year for trees. What's this all about? I thought we had Rosh Hashanah, right? Which is the new year. Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. Well, that's right. Actually, uh, in Judaism, there are actually four different kinds of new years. We celebrate new year all the time. And, and as much as that sounds strange, like, hold on, I don't understand that. It's much like in the U.S., we have a number of different New Years also, a number of different kinds of year. Uh, what are you talking about? We have a calendar year. We have the school year. People have a fiscal year in companies sometimes that don't exactly. Uh, also, all of you, when you have a birthday, there's the 12 months when you're a certain age, right? And then, then your birthday comes, and that could be any time during the year, but that is, say, your your 32nd year, or that is your 43rd year, or whatever, 88th year, etc. Well, in Judaism, we have two, rather four different New Years. Tu Bishvat is one of the four. It is the lesser known of the four, probably the, the third most commonly known. Uh, and it is the New Year for trees. Why? Specifically so as to determine how we fulfill how we fulfill the commands in Leviticus chapter 19 about when and how the fruit is used and also when the fruit is given to the Lord. We need this date in order to determine it. Why? Because different trees, of course, are planted at different times as you're planting different fruit trees and it depends upon the type of fruit tree, uh, etc. And different fruits ripen at different times. This makes sense, with intuitive sense, right? Different fruits ripen at different times, but having a date that is clear helps us fulfill the command that is found in Leviticus chapter 19. Depending upon when the tree was planted relative to Tubishvat, okay, which is every year on the, on the Hebrew calendar, Depending upon when the tree was planted and when you see the fruit come, you will know clearly the three years that you can't eat the fruit, the year when you need to take all the fruit and give it to God, and then the year when you can eat all of the fruit from the tree. And so, and so effectively what this does is it establishes an annual birthday for trees, Okay, for these fruit trees, so that we can easily gauge, okay, what year is it in? Think of it as, think of it almost like, a, almost like a, a, a Paul Masson, you know, as a certain vintage. 
It is a certain year vintage. Well, in, in, in a similar way, as the fruit trees are growing, what vintage is this tree? Well, if it's between this tubishvat and that tubishvat, it's this vintage, right? And so then you're able to determine the three years you can't eat of it, the fourth year that has to be given to the Lord, and the fifth year and beyond when you can uh, partake of it, right? And it also establishes, if you will, the tithe date even for the fifth year and beyond. Because what years one to three, you can't eat of it at all. The fourth year, all of it goes to God. The fifth year and beyond, you partake of it, but you still give a tithe, a tenth of it at that point for the fifth year and beyond, of course. But all of this is based on Tubishvat. That's the date that we're looking at to say, okay, at this date, what all fruit has been collected, so we'll make sure that we give a tithe of it uh, as unto the Lord, okay? Does, does that make some sense? You with me there? Yeah, okay, good, I'm in. Uh, now, traditions from this holiday include things such as eating foods made with fruit. <laughs> and, uh, and in some Orthodox circles, in fact, there's a special Seder involving fruits and nuts. And they also, also one of the uh, grand traditions of Tubishvat you'll find, is the planting of trees, which only makes sense, right? The planting of trees is something, if you go to Israel today, they are huge on planting trees, in part because of the historic holiday of Tubishvat, in part because it's just a part of our, our culture and our heritage to plant trees. Uh, in fact, Israel is perhaps the only country in the world where there are more trees today than there were 100 years ago. Most countries, you know, they talk about deforestation all, all across the world, of course, but in Israel, there are more trees. Why? Because there has been a very intentional uh, 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 attempt, if you will, to plant more trees. This, this is part of it. So, uh, and, and as a side note, also, uh, and again, just as some just bits of information so that you know that this passage from Leviticus chapter 19 about the tree's fruit is also the genesis of the tradition of Upsharon, which you may have heard of before, the ceremony where a little boy has his very first haircut at the age of three, once three years have passed, which is also a, a tradition amongst some in a traditional Jewish circles. Okay, all that is kind of based on this Leviticus chapter 19 passage as well as to Bishvat. Okay, well, this is all well and good, but this holiday and the scriptures that inspired it can teach us something about life as well. This, this holiday has more meaning than meets the eye. Leviticus chapter 19 that talks about the trees has more meaning than meets the eye and is something that can have an impact on and in our lives. Let's go back to Bereshit, Genesis chapter 37, please. Genesis 37. I want to tell you about a different somebody. Yosef. Ah, about Yosef. <laughs> That's a, it's kind of a, I don't know, that was an Irish way to say a Hebrew word. <laughs> Yosef, okay, Joseph, I'm talking about. Genesis chapter 37, in verse 2, I'm going to go to just a little bit into that verse. It says, when Joseph was 17 years old, he was a youth, he was shepherding the flocks with his brothers, with the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. Yosef 
brought back a bad report to, about them to their father. Uh-oh. Okay, so, so we hear in Genesis chapter 37, verse uh, 2, we see the beginning. Joseph is the, uh, is the same last one next to the last one over there. Okay, is that, is that Joseph now, we see the beginning of his story, the beginning of his trials, really. Why? Because he went back and he was kind of telling on his brothers his brothers didn't like it. He had the dreams. You know the story, of course. And, and his brothers didn't like the dreams because they thought this guy is way, you know, he's, he's got a huge head and, and, and he's putting us down. And so what did his brothers do? Bad news. First, they were going to kill him. But eventually, they sold him into slavery. His own brothers sold Joseph into slavery. Man, that's hardcore. You thought you had a bad brother. <laughs> Your brother wasn't that bad. Man, they sold him down the river into, into slavery is what they did. And we know that he was a slave in Potiphar's house. He was, in, he was in, imprisoned on false charges. And he was in prison for forever. And then later on, miraculously, he was called upon to interpret one of Pharaoh's dreams that quickly, because he was accurate with it, right, Denny? It, it made him second in the land to Pharaoh. He was the vice president of Egypt, <laughs> okay? Or even more, you know, you could say almost assistant Pharaoh. He was number two in the land to, to Pharaoh. Hmm. Let's skip down to Genesis chapter 41. We're going, we're skipping a lot of the story. Remember, we just read in chapter 37, verse 2, Joseph was how old when he was sold into slavery? Anybody remember? 17. Exactly, 17. Somebody was listening. Great, Sophie, perfect. Yes, he was 17 when he was sold into slavery. Exactly. Somebody was paying attention. I got, I got her right here. And, but now we see in Genesis chapter 41, verse 46, he was sold into slavery at 17, verse 46. Now, Joseph was... 30 years old when he began serving as representative of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and passed through the whole land of Egypt. Okay. It wasn't until, until he was 30 years old after 13 of his prime years as a slave and a prisoner. Before his life, bore such amazing fruit. It's interesting because he would, of course, as second in the land of Pharaoh during the years of the famine, he was able to provide for his family who came to see him. You know all the, the rest of the story. It's a, it's, a, it's a story that's made for a movie and about how they said, wow, and first he was hid as who he was, then he revealed himself and his brothers were freaked. Rightly so, probably because they thought, man, we sold this guy to slavery. What's he going to do to us? But, uh, but Joseph had nothing but love for his brothers and his, his family. But he was able to save them. He saved them all from the family. He saved his whole family that had done him wrong. He, unbelievable. And God used him in such a miraculous way, second in the whole land of Egypt, the most powerful country in the world at the time. It's unbelievable fruit, but we got to understand, he was sold into slavery at 17. From 17 to 30, it was slavery and prison. 
slavery and prison. And you think prison's bad now. Can you imagine? How bad did prison have to be in those days, y'all? Like seriously, really, really bad. From the age of 17 to 30. And, and, and listen, the average life expectancy in these days was like 30. <laughs> this, this, was, this was tough. This was a tough deal for, for Joseph. Friends, guess what? God has a plan. He knows what's best for you and me. And Chavarim, often we do not. <laughs> oh my goodness. Sometimes I hear a people say, and, and very sincerely, and, and not glibly at all, and, and heartfelt, but it's interesting when you think about it from a different perspective. Sometimes I hear people say that they're in a dry season spiritually. You've heard this before. I'm really in a dry season spiritually. And listen, I, I get that for sure. I'm, I'm not diminishing how that feels. I think everybody who's been a believer a while has been there before at one time or another. At the same time, it, it's really... Of course, it's not so much that the Lord isn't available to us. Obviously, the Lord is available to us. But also, though, it's not necessarily that we can't draw closer to God. The truth oftentimes, not all the time, I'm not generalizing every, all the time, but oftentimes when people are feeling this way, it's that they're in a situation in life where there are hard times, and we don't see a clear manifestation of God working in our lives, and we interpret this as being in a dry season. Okay, I want to say that again a little bit slower because I'm going to tell you, this is something that will, this could change your life, if not today, at some point in your future. Is that oftentimes, here's the truth, is that we're in a situation in life where there are hard times, and we don't see a clear manifestation of God working in our lives, and we interpret that as us being in a spiritually dry season. But what I'm saying is that perhaps you are in year seven of your prison term. And it's year 13 when you're going to be called to interpret the dream for Pharaoh. You with me on that? You get that? You might be in year 7. Maybe you're in year 27 of your 40 years in Midian. Before God calls you from the burning bush to say, let my people go. Boy, that's interesting, isn't it? It really changes how you think about life, especially dry seasons. Man, you got to think, Joseph, you're seven in prison, a guy who loved God deeply and did nothing wrong and was in prison 
He wasn't, just in, he wasn't just in prison. He was a slave who got sent to prison. He was in slave prison. I mean, that's got to be the lowest of the low. You got to think that he might have felt a bit dry. <laughs> if somebody asked him, hey, Joey, how's the spiritual walk, brother? <laughs> As he's there in year seven in that jail, man. Come on, where he did nothing wrong. You gotta, yeah, I would have, I would have probably said, man, I'm feeling a little bit dry right now. In fact, in fact, can you bring me some water? <laughs> I'm trying every way. I'm just parched. But but you see how that could have felt like a real spiritually dry. I mean, where's God? Where's God? I mean, not only is he in jail, he's been in jail for years. And he's going to be in jail for years. Where's God? Man, I feel very far from God. It's Moses is just 27, maybe year 20, 30 years. He's been long done with Egypt. It's like, well, I guess this is my purpose in life is I'm just going to be a shepherd in Midian. Take care of Jethro's herd and just kind of hang out here and Middle of nowhere, no longer associated with my old people I grew up with, the Egyptians, no longer associated with my Hebrew family, my Jewish family anymore. I guess I'm just, I guess that's it. I'm just kind of, no, I mean, he, he could have easily said, you know, how, how, how's your spiritual temperature, Moses? Well, I'm kind of dry right now. Nothing really. No, 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 no. God was working in both these guys. God was working, but he was teaching both these guys. He was working through them, and both these guys, probably part of their greatness is that they probably got that more than we get it. You know, it doesn't say a lot about it. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Earlier, it's just a verse. It's just like one verse, two verses, you know, a little bit about him in Midian and a little bit, you know, some things about him in prison, talking to the, the, the candle maker and all. You know, what? Small, but for them, that's a long time. Hey, the Lord was working in their lives even though it really wasn't, really wasn't time yet. It just wasn't time yet. Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Sometimes when you're there, maybe you're in year seven of that 13 years. And I'm, and I'm not talking about that it necessarily has to be that long. The point remains. Luke chapter 3, verse 23 says, Yeshua was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Even the Messiah was 30 before he began his ministry. Before he began his ministry. Even that is revelatory. I totally understand. I understand the Hebraic uh, context of this about 30 years old and why that has some significance about starting your ministry and, and of a certain age. I, I, I get that, but he was the Messiah. Couldn't he have started at 22? <laughs> I mean, imagine those years in his 20s. We don't ever think about that. You know, it's, it's like, what about Yeshua in his 20s? 
walking around, doing his job. It's like, what was that like? I mean, I have no idea. That had to be interesting. I mean, I imagine he, he, I imagine he knew when his time would come, and so he, was, he, he never got spiritually dry. We know that. I mean, he was always... But still, he had to wait until it was the right time. He had to wait until it was the right time. I mean, it's interesting to contemplate his 20s. I mean, that's not like five minutes, y'all. That's like a, a decade of adulthood. In fact, there were adults back then, say at 15 years old, essentially, working and doing their stuff. Almost all of his disciples were probably teenagers or in their early 20s. People think of them as like, you know, the people you see in the Last Supper as these old guys. They weren't. They were young guys. They were teenagers and, and early 20s, by and large, the disciples, most likely. And so, and so here is Yeshua, waits till he's 30. What's, it's interesting, isn't it? It's, sometimes it's about timing. Now, I get that we all are not people of the Bible. You and I are not in the Bible. Okay, we don't have these, these lives that are so, have this incredible different thing, although we're in, incredible in our own ways. But our challenges are, are, are also similarly often not quite as severe as those that are in the Bible, right? Sure, we may not be called to do something as grand as be vice president like Joseph, but we similarly will likely not go through being sold as a slave by your brother, by your brothers. i got to be careful. My brother is here today. <laughs> I'm thankful. Listen, he's my older brother too, so i, I got to be real thankful, y'all. I'm just, he could have, who knows what that guy could have done to me when I was little. Oh, Man, I'm thankful, you know, and, uh, but the point here, <laughs> the point here is still valid on a smaller scale. Sometimes, sometimes it's not that you're doing anything wrong. Some, let me say it again. Sometimes it's not that you've done anything wrong. It's not that God has forgotten about you. It's just that it's not time yet we will sell no wine before it's time <laughs> wow changes changes how you look at things ecclesiastes chapter 3 please ecclesiastes Ooh, Rabbi's getting philosophical. He's going to Ecclesiastes. You're right. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 says, For everything, for everything, not some things, for everything there is a season. And a time for every activity under heaven. You know the rest of the song. <laughs> All too often, brothers and sisters, we don't get seasons. We don't understand seasons. We don't contemplate seasons. We don't consider seasons in our lives. We don't 
establish that as, as a possibility as why we're in a certain place in our life at any one moment. We never really think about seasons. It just doesn't even dawn on us. It doesn't even come to us as a, as a random thought that, that this is a particular seat. Perhaps this is per, just a particular season that you are in that is not random, but is actually intentional. What do we want? I'll tell you what we want. We want to eat the fruit now. That's what we want. We want to eat the fruit now. I don't want to wait three years. I don't want to wait three years and watch that delicious looking fruit just go to waste. How can I let that great looking fruit go to waste? I don't want to wait three years. Look at the fruit. It's such delicious looking fruit. And by the way, did I mention I'm hungry? Whoa, man, I want that fruit. That fruit looks luscious. You understand fruit back in the, these days was the Dunkin' Donuts of the day. It's not like they had ice cream back in the time of Moses and such. No, fruit was, was a real sweetness. Hmm. Wasn't like some of these things. And so, man, you see that fruit. That's the way we are. We want the fruit now. Why would anyone waste perfectly good fruit? You planted, not yesterday, you planted years ago. Years ago you planted. Years ago. It doesn't even really seem fair. It doesn't even really seem fair. I'm hungry for that fruit now. Why don't I have more fruit in my life? Why is God keeping me away from the fruit? He says in his word, you'll reap what you sow. Come on, I'm ready to reap what I sowed. I sowed a long time ago now with his fruit. And beyond this, in year four, I still can't eat of the fruit. <laughs> this, is the, this is the fruit of my labor. This is the fruit of my labor. My labor. I planted the seed. I watered it. I pruned it. I weeded it. I fertilized it. And now, even four years into it, I still can't eat this delicious fruit? That's not fair. Not fair. Beloved, the, the regulations for fruit harvesting are in the Torah for a reason. Tubishvat should remind us of something very important. Because, wait for it, 
with all you did to produce that fruit, with all you legitimately did to produce that fruit, did you bring the rain? Did you bring the sun? Did you bring the soil? Did you bring the wind and the insects to pollinate the trees? And by the way, who gave you your health to do this? Who gave you your breath? Who gave you your life? Changes the perspective, doesn't it? All we think about is all that we've done to plant the fruit and to take care of the, the, the tree. All we can think of is what we've done. Why can't we eat the fruit yet? Why can't we eat the fruit yet? There's an incredible lesson in here in Leviticus 19. This is a huge lesson. Why can't we eat the fruit yet? This isn't even fair. And so many people don't want, certainly they're, they're impatient by year four. They don't want to give to God the fourth year fruit offering, the netah revai. The fourth year, some, there, there are differing opinions among the Orthodox. Some Orthodox say, well, it could only be eaten, the fourth year could be eaten, but only in Jerusalem. Other Orthodox say, no, it can never be eaten, it's, but it can be redeemed with money, which is to be given to God. Whatever, but the scriptures say crystal clear that it is in the fifth year that you may eat of its fruit. That's what the Torah says. In the fifth year, you may eat of the fruit explicitly. Leviticus says that the fourth year, the fruit is holy and is to be a praise to Adonai. In other words, you are giving thanks to God. You are giving thanks to God with this whole year's worth of fruit, your fourth year. Think about that for just a minute. You're giving thanks to God for the delicious fruit that you're not even eating yet <laughs> and not going to be eating till next year. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. Oh, friends, but there's a lesson in there for us if we're feeling, God, why haven't you fill in the blank? Why haven't you done this? Why haven't you done that? Why is this happening to me? Why do I feel kind of distant? Why do I feel kind of a little bit dry? I, I'm just, now listen, I'm not saying that sometimes it can't be because of you moving away from the Lord or you not praying like you should or getting into the Word. That, that can make you dry too, don't get me wrong. But sometimes it's just the situation that we're in in life that feels like we're not finding God's favor at the moment. Sort of like Joseph certainly could have, right? But it just wasn't time. See, if you have that perspective, it can help you deal with it a little bit better. It can help you understand that, okay, Lord, I'm just going to wait on you and what you're going to bring in the season that you're going to bring it. Lord, prepare me now for what you have for me later. There's so many times this principle, I only picked a few examples. This happens all the time in Scripture. King David was anointed, and it was many years later before 
he was king. There's plenty of stories. Noah building the ark. God frequently does this, y'all, where, where we'll be in a, a time of preparation that we don't know is a time of preparation, but he does. And it may seem like we're not really finding God's favor or God's looking out for us at any one minute. And if, and, if, and if we focus on that, we'll lose track. We'll lose our focus and we'll fall off the path that we're supposed to be on. Stay steady. As my dad would say, steady Eddie. Be a steady Eddie. Leviticus 19, going back to Leviticus 19, here's the great thing. Here's the great thing. Here's the great thing. If our lives are in the right order, that's said there. If our lives are in order, what happens in year five? It's very interesting. If you, if you read exactly what it says in Leviticus 19, verse 25, what happens in year five? It says this. In the fifth year, you may eat its fruit, so it will yield its increase to you. I am Adonai, your God. The Hebrew here indicates that the yield of the fruit tree itself will even increase in year five. It's so interesting because I read a number of uh, commentaries from scholars and Chazal, and how interesting it is that year four is the holy year of the fruits. You think that would be the biggest batch of fruit. But no, that's actually not what it says. It, it says if you're following, if you're doing what you should be doing, your th first three years, don't touch, don't eat the fruit. Sometimes even prune the fruit. Year four, give it to the Lord. Then year five will be the biggest crop and there beyond, according to Leviticus 19. Very, very interesting. See, my friends, with the fruit, here is where you reap what you have sown. You do reap what you sow. Lord, I, I pray that I reap what I have sown. And God says, yes, but it may not be today that you reap it. Whenever we pray, let us reap what we have sown, it's always because we want to reap it now. <laughs> Nobody, I've never had somebody come to me in my office and say, Rabbi, can you pray with me? Sure, sure, yeah, what do you need prayer for? I want to pray that the Lord lets me reap what I have sown in seven years. Just, just that, that in seven years, I will reap this benefit that I've sown. I've never had somebody ask for that. Not one time. Rabbi, in five years, I want to reap what I have sown. So can you pray with me earnestly that the Lord will bless me in five years? No, I don't get that asked. No one asks me that. Now, plenty of people say, Rabbi, can you please ask that God blesses me now? I need help. I'm having this and this issue. I'll pray that I've done this, that, and the other, that I reap what I have sown. Yeah, okay, people want to reap now. Interesting. Beloved, here's the encouraging part. When it comes to where you're at in life, wherever you're at in your life right now or where you will be, don't become discouraged. Don't become discouraged or depressed about what is going on at any one moment. 
Don't be discouraged about what's going on at any one moment. Be it sickness, mourning, trials, difficulties, hurts, frustrations, weariness. We will sell no wine before it's time. <laughs> Sometimes there has to be a seasoning first. Maybe you're in year two of growing your fruit. Be encouraged, highly favored one. God has the right timing for everything. But really knowing and believing this will make your time in Midian more profitable. It will make your time, even in prison, not feel as dry. Because worst case scenario, I know the end of the story if we put our trust in God. The yield of our life will increase. But we have to be patient for the right time. Title of my message is Waiting for Tubishvat. Let's bow our heads. Mm. Waiting for Tubishvat. Thought about naming it, We Will Sell No Wine Before It's Time. <laughs> Thought that would look strange on the internet. I want to ask if there's anybody. <laughs> I, I want to ask if there's anybody here who's never said a prayer to receive Yeshua into your heart. If you've never given your life to Yeshua, but you want to today, raise your hand and we'll pray together. If that's you, if you've never given your life to God, but you want to, if that's you, just lift your hand and we'll pray together. Is there anyone? Perhaps you're watching online and have never said that prayer. Repeat this simple prayer after me and God will transform your life. Hey, dear God, I humbly come before you. I ask Yeshua to come into my heart. I believe he's the Messiah risen again, sitting at your right hand. Please forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry. I'll live the rest of my days for you. Thank you, Lord. Wow, if you said that prayer, it's a simple prayer, isn't it? But if you say that prayer and confess with your mouth, Yeshua is Lord, right? Profess. Then you'll be saved, scriptures say. If, if you said that prayer for the first time, you're watching online, please send us an email. We want to celebrate with you. It is worthy of celebration. If you're here and maybe you couldn't get your hand up, see me after the service. We'll celebrate with you as well. Lord, I want to pray for each and every other person who's in here and who's watching online. Lord, that you help us remember to be patient because we may be in the midst of a seasoning. It may not be time yet. 
So Lord, let us not become discouraged. Let us not become depressed. Let us not become frustrated. Let us not become angry. Let us not lose our way. Let us not fall off the path that you have called us out to follow. No, Lord, let us, let us stay steady in, the, in what you've called us to, Lord, knowing that it may be year, year 10, it might even be year 12 of a 13-year prison term, <laughs> Lord, and, and you're about to, to use us mightily and, and to, to change our whole situation. Whatever it is, it, and it's not just even years, it, it could just be tomorrow and, and much shorter time periods even when things happen to us in the short term that are difficult. Encourage us, Lord, to know. To know, Lord, that sometimes it just is not the right time yet. And Lord, if we understand this, it'll encourage us and it will better help us be able to focus on you and trust in you. Thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you for the examples of your faithful servants in the scripture like Moses and Joseph, Yeshua. Lord, we ask these things and we dedicate our lives to you, Lord, in Yeshua's name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin. Please like, subscribe, and share this link with a friend. We would be grateful to receive your tax-deductible gift to further the good news of Messiah Yeshua. To make a contribution, please click on the PayPal link in the description. Also, to view our regular services, click the link in the description for our YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Yeshua the Messiah or how you can become part of our Bethlehem family, please visit our website at www.bethhalel.org. That's B-E-T-H-H-A-L-L-E-L dot O-R-G. Or call 770-641-3000. If you are in the metro Atlanta area, please visit us for an Arab Shabbat service, Friday nights at 8 o'clock, or Shabbat services, Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and shalom. Nine, 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 nine.